Any views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of WSIC. All systems are a go. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your seats. Taking care of Iredell with North Carolina State Representative Jeff McNeely is about to begin in five, four, three, two, one. Good morning, Iredell County. Hope everybody's doing well on this Monday morning. A little dreary outside. Looks like it's going to be off and on the whole day like that, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, good to be inside, though, and doing the radio show today. I got a really good show. Um, Frank Lassie, that's how I'm going to pronounce it until Frank corrects me. He's a climatologist, former Wisconsin state senator, worked on Governor Walker's campaign, uh, who ran for president. Y'all might remember him. Uh, from up in Wisconsin. Uh, Frank's going to come on. We're going to talk a lot about uh, the Green New Deal and a lot of the different things that are going on out there that we're told about our climate. Uh, This should be a really interesting show. Frank has a lot of knowledge and a a lot of expertise in this field, so we're looking forward. We're looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with us. So uh, please make sure you watch and listen to the whole show. Um, real quick, um, if anybody would like to call in, 704-873-1400. Love to hear what you got on your mind. Went to a, a great event yesterday. Uh, there was a reception, a homecoming, we'll call it reception, uh, for Miss Statesville, now Miss North Carolina, Taylor Lloyd. Uh, and just had a great time. She actually sang quite a few songs for us uh, during the afternoon. It was at the Civic Center. and. Uh, talked and everybody uh, got to speak with her and uh, just in, very enjoyable, uh, very talented, uh, very uh, uh, wonderful young lady. Uh, so glad she's representing uh, Statesville and North Carolina and Miss America. Looks like we got a caller, Joe. Go ahead and bring him on. Let's see who wants to talk this morning. Hey, this is Representative Jeff McNeely. What you got on your mind? Robo, uh, well, they keep calling you on the phone like one. Uh company has called me four times a day at least for three years and I ask them every time to take me off and the guy got to the point he said well listen I'll just call you ten times to tomorrow hmm. I said oh, fine you know take me off the list so I don't have to get up and uh, get to the phone I know I could get a portable phone which I have but over 60, you kind of forget almost everything. <laughs> Is there some legislation? Well, I'll, I'll vote for you if you'll do something about this mess. Well, and we have, and here's what the only problem is, we have a lot of different companies that work off the shores of the United States with call centers, and, and they're breaking our law, but they still have to abide by them. So uh, I will try to get a number up for you and put it out for the shows over in one of the breaks, but it is basically there's a number you can call. It is, uh, unfortunately, our uh, department, North Carolina Department of Justice, who's led by Josh Stein, who's not really wanting to do his job, but they they do do a decent job on this, and you can report these people that are calling. And we have fined some of them quite a few million dollars. So there is a chance that it will actually work. And if nothing else, by having the number, when they do call, say, well, you know, I've got the number right here for the attorney general's office. I'm going to go ahead and call right now and make sure that y'all get punished for not taking me off the call list that I ask you to. Uh, 
So maybe that'll be one way to fight back. So I hope to give you a number for the day uh, this show's over. We'll dig it up and, and get that for you. You know, if you're 25 and you can move around easy, but if you're 80 and it takes every effort to get out of the chair to answer a phone, it's really rough. Oh, I know. And, and it's just aggravating when it's the same people over and over and over again. So, yeah, I get you. Hopefully, like I said, keep listening. We'll try to get a number so that way you got something to call. Maybe fight back a little bit. Push back. Good talking with you. Good talking with you. Hey, anyway, like I said, uh, had a lovely time yesterday at the event for uh, Miss Taylor Lloyd, and we look forward to seeing her go for the Miss America pageant. And, and you know, we're, we're counting on her winning that, and we're going to have a real big party for her then. So just can't wait to see that. Uh, by the way, uh, Donald Trump's lawyers say if uh, Vice President, former Vice President Mike Pence, testifies exactly like he wrote in his book, So Help Me God, then Trump will be acquitted of these January 6th charges that have just come about. So these are the third indictment charges, waiting for the fourth indictment charges on what Georgia says was a violation uh, in the, uh, trying to force an election outcome. So it looks like we have another caller, Joe. Let's take it and see what we got. Hey, this is Representative Jeff McNeely. Who we got? It's Jesse, Jeff. How hey, you doing, Jesse. Buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? Well, I'm getting by day by day, but... I don't. I hate I hate calling in and interrupting. I, I like listening to you, but I had to bury my brother here a couple of weeks ago. I saw that uh, on Facebook. Sorry about that. Sorry to sorry to hear yeah. that. Sorry. Crazy. The same the same week I had to uh, had three sheep die here, and I, and I heard the guests that you was having on. I just, and they had me wondering because I went to look on what could have caused that. I, I literally sat there and watched one die puking out. Uh, clear foam out of the mouth. I mean, they come on like so fast and, and within two minutes it was dead. And this was sheep? And, and it, was, it was sheep. Yeah, I've got some sheep. They, and, didn't, uh, they didn't get into anything with high copper, did they? Sheep are very well, toxic I, to I copper. Did, I did some research and it said something about uh, uh, about nitrogen. High contents of nitrogen. You could get into and, that if you've over fertilized your pastures or something. And yeah. One, and one, yeah. And one of the things is go out and look at your trees, your grass, and stuff like that, and see how things will look. And the trees were really dark green. There wasn't no clover. There's been no clover. Yeah. I've been looking at everybody's yard. There's not no clover, nobody white clover there. And nobody's yards from here to uh, where I live at. And, uh, I heard old uh, Pat Shannon the very same week talk about how lethargic he was feeling. I called in and weighed in on that with him. And, uh, but it's like uh, if a sheep it eats too much, gets too much nitrogen in its system, it, uh, but one of them I'd cleaned and I had actually put the liver in the refrigerator. The next day it turned green. Just mm. one day it turned green. So it told me something was poisonous in the liver. You know what I'm saying? That happened with that. And, uh, it's going to be interesting here. you got a good climatologist coming on to hear some of his thoughts about how wild this stuff's getting our ground. Uh, yeah, and I'm wondering with you, usually, usually if you have a sheep and it has issues with copper, uh, it usually right. everything turns really dark, dark red or almost black. 
it, right. It, when I scanned this thing, it's like it didn't have no blood in it. It's like all the blood had turned to water. I mean, it was just like real watery. Like yeah. the plasma had separated. Yeah. I mean, from the from the yeah. fluid. Mm. I mean, it's exactly, mm. exactly. It's like, but I got to looking, and it, it, it everything was kind of what they call nitrous poison. Yeah, uh, I, I'll have to do a little reading on that and see if that's <laughs> something to it, uh, folks. I, you don't. I don't know if you crazy. I've had so many family members die, uh, neighbors. Uh, I mean, literally, I, this one neighbor was about to sell me his land back here. I found out months later he was dead. And they foreclosed on his taxes hmm. and stuff, and, and and it's just it's just crazy, man. I've had death threats myself. And it's it's uh it's ironic, man. I don't know, but hopefully we get out of this war soon. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too. I'll do a little research on the sheep for you. I'll get back to you. Folks, I don't know if you know this, but I'm like a part time veterinarian, unfortunately. When you're in the feed business you gotta you gotta decipher what's going on. Right. Uh, so anyway, so I'll I'll do a little read and see what I can come up with. Hey, we're getting ready to go to our eleven fifteen break, right, but yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll I'll keep up with you, Jesse, and try to let you know something. All right. All right. All right. Folks, hang on. We're going to come right back from our break here. We're getting ready to step right into it here in about another five seconds, ten seconds, as Joe showed. So uh, talk a little bit more about Josh Stein when we get back before we go to the break. All right. All right, folks. We're back here. Next part of the show here. Hey, if you're out there listening, the Do Not Call Registry number is 1-888-382-1222. That's 1-888-382-1222. Please call that, and you can register yourself on the Do Not Call Registry to get away from some of the scams and the robocalls and the stuff like that. It might not be perfect, but it'll be close. Keep that number handy. Somebody calls you and they keep calling you, aggravating you. Make sure you get that company's name, who they're representing or whatever, and call this number and you can report. So doing my public service. That was your PSA right there. All right. Now back to the show. Uh, speaking of our Department of Justice and the beloved, well, not really, Josh Stein, uh, who is our Attorney General, uh, he's now running for governor on the Democratic side, and Josh will probably be the most liberal governor we've ever had, if elected. We pray not. Uh, so please get out, work hard so this doesn't happen. But I thought it interested. Uh, his governor's campaign uh, got scammed, which is kind of ironic, considering Josh and the Department of Justice has had a big uh, to-do about scams going on and them trying to do their best to uh, get people to to prevent them in the state of North Carolina. So they took about $50,000 from his campaign. Uh, it happened back in January. Didn't really want to make that public, but we finally had the six-month uh, filing period that ended uh, in June, and you had to come clean in July, and so it was finally put out there. So interesting, you know, top-ranked top law enforcement, the AG, once again, obviously not doing his job, just like he has in the past seven years, and stopping scammers, and it got him. So there's a lot of irony in that, I think. I don't know, maybe that's just me. But a lot of irony, if, if Josh would maybe do his job instead of telling us what he's not going to represent, because there's been a, over 
over a dozen different laws that he has chosen not to represent the state of North Carolina to defend it, which, you know, to me is his job, and uh, he's just not doing it. Uh, but now he tells us that he wants to be governor, and I'm sure there'll be a whole lot of things that he just won't do being governor also. He seems to have that. And, and speaking of him, uh, one other little problem that Josh has got going on. Uh, Josh Stein, his De North Carolina Department of Justice, is trying to undermine the concealed carry permit system in North Carolina. And us benoance to the legislature's, um, he has changed some rules as far as how the reporting of who is taking the class, or classes, I should say, for concealed carry. And one of the rules they've changed is that you have to submit all the names of whoever's going to take your concealed carry class 30 days prior to being able to conduct the class. Now, I find this kind of interesting. Usually, it's, it's been required in the past to report after the class and who passed the class and who's allowed to get the concealed carry permit and who's not. But now we're having to do it before, which, and everybody's probably saying, well, what's wrong with that? Well, here's the thing. We have a lot of people that do uh, concealed carry instructor classes. Um, those instructors, they're part-time people. Uh, most of them are ex-law enforcement, some ex-military, and they do a great job, but they don't do this for a living, and so they set up classes when they can into their schedule, and usually those classes fill up, and they'll make calls, and, you know, there'll be a couple spots left at the end, and you want a full class to make it worth your time, and so you'll try to call around, see if anybody's interested, and get them in. Well, it's going to be really hard to do that. If you've got to have all the names turned in 30 days before the class actually happens. And I don't understand why this is here, uh, they're doing this, other than to put an obstacle, once again, in front of the people so that we can control who gets to have firearms and carry them and what they do. So this is typical left-leaning liberalism at its best. So we'll probably have to go in and do some legislative work and see what we can do. We got another caller, Joe. Let's go ahead and take him. See who we got. Hey, this is Representative Jeff McNeely. Who do we got? Hey, Jeff. This is William. How you doing this morning? I'm good, William. How are you? All right, I bet. What you got uh, going on this morning? Yeah, this concealed carry thing. Uh, I took mine a long, long time ago, and the sheriff did mine. And, uh, you know, everything went smooth, but it was so long ago, we didn't have near the paperwork. I mean, he got paperwork, but he ain't got near and that's the whole thing. They're just trying to make this thing discouraging. They're not ever going to take our guns away from us. People get the misconception that thinking that the government's going to take our guns away from us. That's probably never going to happen. I pray. Uh, I pray. <laughs> they're just going to make it difficult, more difficult to own a gun. Purchase it and own it. That's That's the whole thing in a nutshell. And as far as Josh Stein goes, He's a good candidate for Washington, D.C. We just need to vote him up there and then vote Donald Trump back in there so Donald Trump can fire his butt. <laughs> well, that's a good strategy. I hadn't thought about it like that, but that could work. That can work. Like maybe we just vote. Maybe we just don't vote for Josh Stein's governor, and then he's not anything, and he just goes away. That would be the wonderful yeah. thing. I doubt that happens. I doubt he just goes away if he wins or yeah, loses. I, know. I just thought I'd dream with you. I mean, yeah. you know, we, it Why don't not? hurt to dream, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Hopes and dreams. That's all we live on.
Listen, Jeff, appreciate what you do. We'll talk at you later, brother. All right, man. You be good. See ya. Uh, and, and William's right. You know, it's going to probably be a, a tough push to disarm America, but they sure can make it almost impossible for law-abiding citizens to be able to protect themselves. And, and is that what they want? Do they want chaos? I, I, I don't know. Maybe. I, I'm not sure exactly what the, the left does want. I do find it ironic that uh, Chicago tells us that they're so many percent ahead this year on homicides over last year, and it's roughly half of a year gone by, and they have the by far strictest gun laws of any city in America. Yet they continually every year lead every city in homicides and death by firearms. So uh, doesn't that make you wonder, okay, so let's go ahead and, and make this really hard on every law-abiding citizen to protect their self and their property. But yet we see that all these different gun laws that are enacted, uh, they really don't work because there's one small problem. A criminal doesn't really obey the law. That's why they call them criminal. So I want you to think about that a little bit. How's it going to really work other than the people who are trying to do right? That's the problem. We have plenty of laws on all of our books of state and federal government. Let's just enforce them, maybe. Let's enforce the ones we got and do a really good job at that. Then we'll see about putting new ones in. There's plenty of laws to combat what's going on. Do it. Prosecute the people. Make them serve jail time. Whatever it takes. Make sure that the end and it justifies the means and, and you, you do fit the crime with the punishment. That would go a long way to fixing things. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about... Uh, been working on something, kind of keeping it low-key because we're trying to make sure we could get it done. It looks like we were able in the uh, basically 12th hour to get it into the budget. I will make sure of that when it happens. But um, And this has a lot to do with agriculture, and that's exactly why I ended up being one of the main ones working on this. That's what I do. Uh, we have what's called custom meat processing people, and they're small uh, little uh, businesses that actually uh, uh, will process your beef or your, your pork, even your chicken for you. And they'll repackage it back in packs that say not for sale. It doesn't necessarily go back into the commercial uh, food industry to a point. This is more for private sale. This is more farmer to customer type sale. And that's a, a big part because the closer I feel like the farmer can get to the customer, the more he gets for his product. You take out the middlemen and the distributors and all those different things who, who get their part. I always say if you go to the beef case and you look at what ground truck is bringing, if it's bringing $8 a pound, you can figure out that the last person that touched that cow and packaged it, uh, probably on a 1,000-pound cow, about $4,800. Most farmers right now are getting about, maybe for that same size animal, Oh, about $1,200, $1,300. You do the math in the middle. So the closer the farmer to get, the better off you are. Do we got another caller? I don't know if we're going to be able to take it because we got about a minute and a half. I'm sorry, whoever's calling in. We're just going to get too crunched up. I'm going to finish this real quick. Had some issues with the department, and so we've had to go about trying to figure out a way to get these people more qualified 
uh, and I think we've got it done through some grant programs. So I'll give you more on this when it's all said and done in the budget. But a lot of hard work, a lot of heavy lifting, trying to make sure we get these people in compliance. Feel pretty good about where we're at right now. Uh, they are needed. Uh, I know all my life we've raised cattle. We quit for a while, but I've always had some kind of beef cattle. I'm fatting here or there doing something. And so it's real critical that we keep these small, little independent meat processing facilities open and running. That's critical. And so they were in danger of being out of compliance and shutting down. And so we figured out a way, we hope, to get them in compliance so that they can keep doing it. Because I know as a kid, we had a cow or you know, young heifer, young steer, whatever, break a leg, doing whatever. You know, if you can get that cow slaughtered quick enough, it's not going to get the blood and everything, and you can save that animal and not take that loss. And it'd always be somebody could come out on the farm and help you go ahead and slaughter it there, and you'd get it quartered up, and they could take it back and process it for you. And so that's what was going on, and that's where we got out of compliance. So anyway, hang on for the second part of the show. we got Frank, I think, on the line waiting. So we're going to get him on here. This should be interesting. All right, stay tuned. They'll be doing a different number. All right, we're back here with the second half of the show here. Got Frank Lassay on the line. Let me see if we can bring Frank in. Frank, are you there? Yes. Hey, Frank, it's, it's good to talk with you. Uh, i tell you what, um, you know, nobody here really knows you. Uh, who is Frank? And I want to say I'm saying it right, Lassay. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Frank Lassay. All right. Turn it up just a little bit, Joe. Just so yeah, Frank. Who? Just t t tell the listener a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Um, sure, I'm a, a former state senator and state representative from, from Wisconsin. Um, I headed the the uh, national think tank, uh, free market think tank, the Heartland Institute, and now I work with my own program. And you can see more of what we do. Um, our organization, spreading the truth of energy and climate. Um, there is so much misinformation of, of this about climate that's being used as a tool to drive some really horrendous, expensive energy policy and is being used by the Biden administration to, to clamp down on virtually everything that we use and make it all very much more expensive. Uh, I'm a family man. My wife and I together, we have, uh, we're, it's our second marriage of 15 years. We have seven daughters together. We each brought three, and we have a young son who's in, going into fifth grade. Wow. And I'm very concerned about our, our nation and their future and the future of everyone. I mean, we need a vibrant, uh, successful society and keep making progress. And when they're attacking energy and food supply, um, which they're doing actively right now across the, across the Western world, they aren't doing this in Asia, but across the Western world for no good purpose, we should all sit up and take notice and really stop electing these folks. Um, we've got some real problems going on in this country, and I know people don't really know it. It seems a little complex, but we'll talk about those sort of things. Well, that's exactly right. Well, let me ask this question before we jump right in to the, the different things going on with the climate change agenda. And that's what I'm going to call this, uh, an agenda, because I feel like it is. What, what made you get so passionate about this? Is, is it because of the, the family you got and, and these kids and, and, and knowing what's going to happen to the future? Tell us, what, what brings a man to, to get passionate like you have about this? Well, I, you know, I, why I served so long in the legislature was I, I really like service, making things better for everyone. And um, that's a big part of it. When I learned about this years ago, um, it, it made, made me hot on the issue. And it's very clever how they've done it. 
been churning behind the scenes for decades now. They've been using this, the globalists and leftists, um, to give us bad energy policy. And when I learned that this was really fake and natural, it's natural for the climate to change. You know, all those kind of the underlying promises, the underlying promises that we can make weather stop or it'll never change, is simply ridiculous. It always has, always will. And in fact, the weather of the past was much worse than the weather of today. And there's a lot of evidence of that. And it's, you know, it was warmer in the past as well. And generally, warmer times are better on Earth for everyone, including animals, the environment, people. And um, they've been using this. And, and when I learned of this a couple decades ago, I started to try to raise the alarm. And I would talk to you know, people who apply to capital and interest, that, you know, like builders, uh, home builders, want to, they want a lot of houses built and people to be able to buy them and live in them, which is really important to all of us who want to have a nice life. And, you know, there wasn't any specific climate-related legislation to ever really react to. And now we're seeing the government in Washington using regulations to clamp down on many of the things that we enjoy without us even thinking about it. So I got very passionate about it early on, but there wasn't a lot you could do about it. And then as I, I worked with Heartland Institute, which spends a good amount of time, uh, you know, really debunking the lies that are going on. And they are lies and they are propaganda and they are being funded to tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars, these industrial green interests who are feeding off of our tax dollars are um, in paying media outlets to propagandize us on bad climate when in fact we don't have bad climate, we have good climate. All the indicators, people are living longer, better, uh, more economic success, crop harvests are up everywhere, both in terms of yield, how much you get from the same amount of land, and um, you know just all, all these things, we have a greening earth, the, the facts don't support any type of alarmism. And it's being used to really attack the foundation of what we need to have a healthy economy and for all of us to have jobs and work and have better lives, have kids, grandkids have better lives. That's what I really am passionate about. Um, depend on having abundant, affordable energy and having a good food supply that's healthy and abundant and affordable. And they're attacking both both of those foundations of energy and food supply now in the name of this false climate narrative. And it really is just a narrative. It's, it's false. Well, I, and I'm going to tell you a line that my dad would tell me when I was a little boy, and, and I didn't quite understand then like I do now, but his thing said three things that made America great were, were cheap energy, cheap labor, cheap food. Those are three things that made America great that allowed even the poor of the poor to survive. Uh Cheap labor, it's gone. And, and cheap energy, it's gone. Uh, cheap food, we're seeing it disappear also. So they, they've attacked kind of the three-stool foundation of what allowed America to prosper over so many other nations so quickly. So, I mean, that, that, I always say with the left, the far left, the liberal, they're, 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 not, they're not stupid. They're just crazy. And so I look at this, and, and like you said, you know, it's it's one thing if we come up and said, well, we're going to raise the tax. You know, they love to raise the tax, talk about on, on the rich, the ultra-rich. We're going to make them pay their fair share. We're going to raise the tax. Well, you and I all know they get in a plane, they fly and live in another country, they do whatever they want, they can avoid. So that all sounds great, and it ends up trickling back and usually ends up eating up the middle class because they can get a hold of them. They can't fly to another country to their other house. So I guess... The thing that's getting me in this, it, the EV craze right now, the electrical vehicle craze, 
we don't have the infrastructure to support the speed that they're wanting everybody to move to electric vehicles. And it's obvious. So so at what point in time will we will the craziness actually show up, you think? Or talk to us a little bit about what you feel like on electric vehicles. Well, <clears throat> kind of a two-part question there. What is electric vehicles? And if we were serious about climate change, and they really aren't. This is about an agenda. They aren't really attacking the, the real uh, if what they said was true, which it isn't, CO2 is a benefit. Um, we, it'll take 200 years to double CO2 in the atmosphere. Most of the warming that it has caused has already happened. It only gets a small amount of warming as you double it. Um, so, so that's a false thing right away to, to deal with. So they're driving EV policy, trying to force it on all of us. Uh, when most people don't want it, it's not practical for many people. And full electric vehicles with a 1,000-pound battery and having to move up 500,000 500, pounds of dirt to make one single battery doesn't make sense. Wow. We're short of the minerals and metals needed to make them. Most of them are made in China. The vast majority of the stuff is shipped through <clears throat> to China where they have what you were just talking about. They have cheap energy. They get 56% of their all their energy from coal, and it's growing use. They use more than half of the 8.5 eight billion tons of coal used every year. They're building hundreds of coal plants that last 50 to 75 years. Uh, they just uh, Their oil and gas use and natural gas use are climbing, and they're getting a better economy for their people, becoming stronger militarily, and they're flexing their muscles. They are proven bullies around the world. Uh, they are totalitarian you know, dictatorship. Uh, that harms their own people when it's in the, the states or the dictator's best interest, what they want. And that's where we're getting this stuff. If we were serious about climate change, if they were, they would be pushing, and, and I think they make a lot of sense, our, our um, hybrid vehicles. Exactly. With one battery, with one battery from an electric vehicle, that 1,000-pound battery, could make 30 to 60 batteries for a hybrid car, 30 to 60 of them. But they don't, they don't want us to go that direction. And, and as an aside, uh, when you see <clears throat> trains chugging along, they're, they're hybrid trains. They have a diesel engine to make electricity, to feed a small battery, to feed a very efficient electric, uh, an electric um, General, engine. Yeah. So, yeah, an extra electric. Um, and they're, they're that efficient. Electric um, battery or electric engines um, work. Are, are very efficient. They work very well. They have you know, minor parts, smaller parts, all kinds of things. So there's good things in them. But to go to a full EV, there's so many things that we don't have charging infrastructure. I just read a report this morning that it was Virginia-specific. But if Virginia would need to generate 1.4 times more electricity than they're doing now. So they'd have to more than double, one and a half times more electricity to if they switched all their electric cars to, or all their gas cars to electric cars. Uh, this type of build-out that's going to, it's highly expensive, and just paying for, you know, the, the reliable grid that's run by natural gas, coal, and nuclear power, and then paying for a part-time grid is, is going to double or triple our electric rates. Then paying for all the, tri uh, the, all the transmission wires that are needed to take that electricity generated by wind and solar and bring it to cities, uh, is also going to quadruple or uh, 5x our electric bills in a short period of time, in the next 10 to 15 years. They're making energy expensive and difficult for us to purchase, and it hurts poor people the most. So electric cars are, are really, in my opinion, not ready for prime time for most people. 
Um, they are second or third cars for wealthy people because they're far more expensive. Oh, yeah. Who wants to buy a used electric vehicle after the battery may only have a few years left in it? It costs ten to thirty thousand dollars to replace it. I mean, they're going to kill the used car market as well. That, so yeah. it, it's and that's going to harm poor people and the freedoms that we all have as they're driving this agenda that's harmful to us. Uh, fr- Frank, we, we got to take. We're back here for the last part of the show, last segment. We're going to bring our guest in, Frank Lassie. Frank, you still with me? Yes, I am. All right. We were talking about EVs. Here's something I want to read. Uh, This actually will come out in the Washington Post, July the 10th, 2019. And I'm probably going to slaughter his name, but he's the chief of staff for Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC as we call her. Chair Bhakti, uh, her chief of staff, had an unexpected disclosure to the Washington Post. The interesting thing, he says, about the Green New Deal is it wasn't originally a climate thing at all. And the reporter Ricketts greeted this startling notion with an attentive poker face. Do you guys think of it as a climate thing? Chair Bhakti continued, because we really think of it as of how do you change the entire economy thing. And that was a quote. So they're not looking at this worried about the climate. They're looking at this as how they flip the economy around to make it work for them. That's where we're at. So, well, let's talk about, we talked about EVs and what's going to happen, like you said, with the used car market in probably eight years from now, maybe 10 uh, and the demand, they're telling us all all these vehicles have to meet these uh, miles per gallon your fleet does, so that means you're going to have to put more electric in because you're at 58 miles to the gallon is what you're going to go to in tw- starting in 27. Folks, that's not far from now. Uh, and so one way or another, through whatever agency Biden administration can come up with, they're, they're getting us here and they're getting us there, and, and, and we don't even realize it. So wind and solar. What's your take there? Uh, They're really not ready for prime time, and and it's crazy how much we subsidize them to drive up our electric rates to not even reduce CO2. And I'll explain that real quickly, is that wind and solar are, uh, first off, a 1,000 megawatts of wind power really only yields about 300 megawatts of power when the wind blows. So they get about a 30% efficiency factor. Um, they base their their uh, uh, nameplate value, the, the amount that they say they can. If weather, if weather conditions were perfect and the wind was growing, uh, blowing just perfect, and that rarely happens. So 70% of the time, they aren't producing any energy. So we have to pay for a full-time grid to keep the lights on. And when we need a real lot, when it's really hot or really cold, and we're seeing that, weather patterns often, and New York is going to discover this, because weather patterns are often producing little wind and little solar when you need it the most. And battery technology is super expensive. Green hydrogen, which they're talking about now, takes uh, 13 times more water than you produce hydrogen. We don't have any infrastructure for it. It blows up. And it's crazy, but we're throwing $9 billion at this, and that's not ready for prime time either. So their idea is to super overbuild wind and solar, and we aren't even building enough to replace the, the coal plants they're shutting down. So they're trying to shut down all the coal plants in America 
Meanwhile, I remind you, China's building hundreds of them, hundreds of them, not one or two, hundreds of them. The last 50 to 75 years, they're mining more coal than ever. They're buying more coal, coal than ever. And we're going the opposite direction. And they're not even building enough wind and solar um, to, to offset what we're taking off and 20% of our power with coal power. It's reliable. It's on demand. That Nuclear and coal are the only two that we can stockpile on site. Typically, we used to have like three to six months of supply on coal on site so you could keep it going. And um, so these, these things are all related to our very getting ever more expensive um, electric bill. So what we do as taxpayers is when they build a wind and solar installation, we give them 30% of the cost of building it. Then we give them 30% of all the production that they do. And then what's worse than that is when they go out to bid on the market, they pay them the full price that we would pay for any other power. And then they're making natural gas power in particular very part-time. So they're, they're producing less uh, electricity on purpose to offset whenever wind blows and the, the sun shines. And then you'd have to turn them down. And kind of like your car, when you're driving and stop and go traffic, you get a lot less gas mileage. You have to burn more gas to travel the same distance. The same thing happens with coal or natural gas as you turn it up and down and up and down, which then makes that production cost more because instead of running it full-time, you're running it part-time. So our rates are going to go up, and they're going to blame natural gas and coal for the increasing rates as we, you know, they sell less electricity to the grid, but you still have to maintain them, and you still have to burn fuel. To help people understand this, you have to have boiling water at a moment's notice to turn those big turbines, because that's what you have to do. When the sun sets or the wind stops, you have to kick your turbines on. You have to keep it spinning all the time. They call it spinning reserve. So we're paying for the fuel when they aren't putting any electricity on the grid. We're paying for the buildings, the people, and all those things that go into running a great big natural gas plant or coal plant, and then we're using them very part-time. So we're driving up the cost there, um, and wind and solar are always going to be part-time because they're weather-dependent. It just is. And we aren't building, you know, literally we'll need to build three or 400,000 wind towers and literally have to build tens of thousands of square miles of solar panels to just replace natural gas and coal that we have now. And it isn't a real replacement because of that part-time factor. So this, this policy that we have is crazy, not to mention putting in multi-square miles. There's a proposal in what's being built in Wisconsin. They're doing a two-square-mile two-square-mile solar installation in the country, wow. taking all that cropland out of production. And it's the first phase of 10 square miles of solar. This is just the beginning. And states, and we'll need to talk about this offline, but states are not prepared for regulations, and they don't want any. But if you're going to build a, a two-square-mile industrial building in the middle of farmland, you have a lot of regulation, rightly so, to make sure that it's protected. And the people in the neighborhood wouldn't like that very much to have a huge factory in their backyard. And that's what we're putting in right now with wind and solar. And um, we just aren't building enough of it fast enough. The, the policies are upside down. We are starting to have unstable grids. Our electricity, we're going to see more blackouts, like California leading the nation in blackouts. And their electricity, they import 30% of their electricity, and they're paying double the nas national average. Germany, because of their wind and solar policies, are paying four times what a, the average is for an American for electricity, and it's only going to go up. They've admitted they're going to keep building lots more wind and solar in Germany, one of the leaders in the world of this stuff. And they need to build another 50 gas plants, natural gas plants, 
to turn on and off whenever the wind and solar are, are running. Yeah. And this is what they're giving us in our country. And, you know, count on your electric rates quadrupling over the next 15 years. Well, no, that Germany took all their nuclear power plants offline just about all at one time here. What was it, a year or a half ago, two years ago, right in the middle of the pandemic, and all the you know, gasoline and petroleum, everything that soared high. And they said, well, this was when it was scheduled five years ago, so we've got to do it now no matter what circumstance. So they put themselves into a heck of a mess and had to depend on Russia and, and their natural gas from them because they cut their own throat with their own nuclear You know, the thing that gets me is we have more natural gas in the United States than any other country we feel like on the whole earth, all under our our land, natural gas reserves there. Yet the the craziness of the, the liberal left, natural gas is bad. It's the most efficient cleaning, burning fossil fuel there is. It's bad. So no matter how good fossil fuel could be it's always bad uh so you know we're getting down you jeff you're absolutely correct and we have huge huge natural gas reserves and there's good evidence that it's very likely that the earth is continuing to produce natural gas so we might have unlimited supplies of natural gas it's very clean it's very efficient it works well we have huge infrastructure already in place for it it, it provided 38% of our electricity last year, and, and that's with having to be, you know, turned off and on. I mean, it could be even more, and it's low cost with fracking. It, it, it's really great. And China's usage is just going, climbing by 8% this year. So meanwhile, you know, our narrative, the media is telling us this lie that China's going great into, uh, you know, wind and solar. And they are building a lot of wind and solar, but they're growing their full natural gas and oil usage much faster and it provides a lot more of their energy and here in our country we have the biden regime pushing back and trying to go the opposite direction throwing up roadblocks taxing it more making it more difficult for oil natural gas and coal and these are primary fuels this is what led the world and why we're living longer eating better and doing better than ever before in history and the things that the Asians want, there are literally billions of people in Asia that don't have electricity full-time, 24-7, they want it. And they're building coal plants to get it because coal is low-cost, abundant, and reasonable. And they don't use clean coal technology there either. Yeah. It's hundreds of millions to put it in a plant. And you lose 20% of your electricity generation because you have clean coal technology on it. So they're going the opposite direction of us. They're becoming strong, and we're becoming weak. And it's really wrong. I don't, you know, earlier you talked, I think there are a lot of people who are honest in the climate movement, in the climate alarmists, the climate religion. They come by through faith and and they they are honest people. And I say, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they want to do, (laughs) uh, what they're doing. But I think there are some truly evil people at the leadership and the helm of this who understand it and they want to tear down the capitalist system. They want to ruin our country, harm all of us for their ideas of a world government. And instead of trying to lift Asia and poor people out of poverty through energy usage, they're trying to hold them back and tear us down. We should be doing just exactly the opposite, building us up and helping them, giving them a hand up to build up 
because when they get electricity, they can do so many more things. Right, Frank, I'll tell you what, the show, we're coming to the end. I appreciate you. We're going to have you back on, but I'm going to say a quick prayer like I do it, and we'll end the show. Dear Heavenly Father, let us be wise and make wise decisions. Some of the things we're doing now makes no sense at all. So, I, Lord, I pray for wisdom. Pray you be with us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, folks, see ya. You've been listening to North Carolina Representative Jeff McNeely. Join Jeff again next Monday morning at 11.05 for Taking Care of Iredell on News Talk WSIC.